Smash the book. Reading. I am following for Wallace, chapter 8. Chrissy didn't know what to say, what to do. She had visions of being arrested and locked up. Wouldn't that make Jack Clark's day? She mused unhappily. She drew in a setting breath. Do you want me to drive into town and turn myself in? She asked, only after a Cash's voice was cold. I do not. I'll handle this. See you in a few minutes. He hung up. Chrissy looked around her at the mess of equipment the film crew had left in place for the return. She felt hopeless. Judd was going to be absorbed by the famous model. Ranch was going to go under some lack of operating capital. And breeding bulls, she was going to prison. She laughed almost hysterically. I wondered if she could sell her own story to the producer. It would make a much more exciting movie than his romantic comedy. Cash looked smug when he walked into the living room. He was in uniform, handsome, and completely unaffected by Clark's visit. Chrissy, on the other hand, was worried and pale. You want a handcuff? He asked each other. No, I want coffee. She went into the kitchen, leaving him to follow. I'm not under arrest. No, he sat down, waiting for her to pour coffee into two months. Have you forgotten? You're four miles out of town. I don't have jurisdiction here. Clark knows it too. He only wanted to shake you up, and he knew that you and I were friends. <sighs> he won't let it drop, she said worriedly as she sat down beside him. He caught her cold fingers in his. I told him that any woman alone faced with a threatening man had the right to defend herself. Besides that, he was trespassing on private land without permission. He was in the wrong. He didn't push his luck. <laughs> she sighed her relief. I bet he didn't like that. He studied her face wet. Really frightened him. She nodded. He's vulgar and offensive. He made a blatant pass at me when he was working here. Did you tell Judd? She turned her mug in her hands. It was too much like carrying tail, she said. I thought I could handle it. I told Clark I didn't like suggested remarks and that he'd lose his job if he kept it up. Did it work? I don't know, because that was just before charged those expensive boots and we fired him. He has a record. She stared at him. What sort? Sexual assault and battery on a very young teenage girl when he was in his early 20s. He replied. The girl almost died of her injuries. She reported him to the police and testified against him. He served six years. What happened to the girl? She asked curiously. Her family changed their name and moved away. Nobody knows where they went. What about his brother John? She wanted to know. John never did anything that got him convicted. He was accused of poisoning livestock autometries. There's no record that he ever hurt a human being. Since Jack got out of prison, there have been accusations but no arrests for either of them. Chrissy felt chills go down her spine. Her hands were icy around the hot mug. Did Jug ever get you that handgun? She blinked. Her mind was elsewhere. He brought it down and left it with Lottie. Get it. A pistol is much better close-range weapon than a rifle. She took the case it was in from under the sink and put it on the table. His eyebrows. Well, isn't it exactly the first place the thief would look for? Well, it isn't exactly the first place the thief would look for a gun. She defended herself. He chuckled. He opened the case and took out the revolver. It was shaped like an old-time 45 Colt, but it shot 22 caliber long rifle bullets. There's a box of shells in the case with a pistol. Okay, let's go. Where? She said. 
standing up to the firing range by the end of the day. Don't know how to handle this pistol. And I'll feel better about having you and Marty out here alone. I'll go, but we won't be very much alone after Sunday. But maybe people are coming back, she said also. I'll be glad to have them here. Here your flight's on. Clark's not likely to come after you with a crowd of people on hand. I hope not. She followed him out to the front porch. What are you going to tell Judd? I have to, he said quickly. What? Turned his dark eyes quiet more. The state crime lad had a preliminary report on Hob Downey. He was hitting the throat with a hard object, probably the tire tool we found near him. He felt the blood drain out of his face. I can't believe Hob was killed just because of what he saw when my fence was cut. He helped turn to the passenger side of the truck. It's more complicated than that. How about Jack Clark, she pressed. He's the most likely suspect, isn't he? He is, but he has an ironclad alibi for Downing's approximate time of death. In fact, he has an ironclad alibi for the entire day. She waited. He got in and fastened the seatbelt. He was with a well-known local resident, a Victorian, a city councilwoman. Is she a reliable witness? She is, unfortunately. She told investigators that Clark came by her office and invited her to lunch. Said he wanted to talk to her about buying some land. She's in real estate. She took him to two different properties. It's curious, but it isn't illegal. So Jack Clark's not a suspect. He said, don't worry. We'll find out whoever killed Old Hop. How about his brother John? Yes. Does he have an alibi? He was with a co-worker on the Victorian ranch where he works. I can't believe Clark tried to have me arrested, she said, rubbing her arm. You need a sweater, he pointed out, noticing her long sleeve. Canberra shirt over a t-shirt. I'm not cold. It's thinking of what might have happened if I hadn't had that rifle. I'm going to teach you to shoot a pistol today, he said, turning on to the highway. It will be easier to use on a potential attacker than something as long as a rifle that he could grab away from you. That takes care of the short term. But we still have to tell Judd about what's been going on. Why? She asked Worley. The film crew will be here. You said yourself that nothing will happen with so many people around. Listen, Judd has a right to know. I'm not telling him, she said suddenly. And that's that. He didn't answer her. They went to the police firing range and she spent two hours pulling the trigger. She seemed to be a natural with a pistol. She was able to put all her shots within the approximate size of a man's torso. The thought of actually shooting a human being made her sick in her stomach. That's why you're learning to shoot properly at cash order and you can place your shots. What if I miss? He turned to What if you don't shoot at all? So Clark in the way he looked at her. Things he said to her and she swallowed her. Okay, let's try that again. Her hands were sore when they finished, but she felt more confident. Cash promised to take her out at least once a week to the range and keep up with practice. Forgot that he hadn't promised not to tell Judd what was going on. The film crew came back and chaos became normal again. Judd walked up behind her just as she was getting out of her truck after class one afternoon. He wasn't smiling. His black eyes were homicidal. Stared at him with resignation. Cash told you he, he told me something you should have done long ago. He goes, this ranch is half mine. I have a right to know if it's in danger. If you're in danger. I'm not. I can shoot a gun. Clark was right here on the property, and he didn't know it until he stepped out in front of you. He interrupted furiously. What if? Or if he'd had a gun, too. He didn't. That's besides the point. He should have told me. 
You wouldn't have believed me. She raged back. Her dark eyes were blazing now, too. Her blonde hair in disarray from the wind. You wouldn't believe me when I told you the bull had been poisoned. So I was jealous of the attention you were giving the film crew. And you really have a reason to accuse me of lying now. You could say I was jealous of your famous model. You drew her sober. I'd have believed the blonde. A blood analysis done by a veterinarian, he said. Sure, as long as you weren't expected to believe anything I told you. Cash knew everything and made it sound like an accusation. Yes, he did. He isn't panting over Tippy more, and he'd take my word any day for anything. So he had a work pure venom. His eyes narrowed dangerously, and he said, Tippy is not your business. She has nothing to do with the ranch. She wanted to ask him if he was sure about that. When he was spending money, he didn't have to buy her expensive jewelry, but she didn't. She gave him a hard glare before she turned away. Clark won't sneak up on me again. That isn't good enough. Marty isn't always here, and you'll be away from the ranch for time every day going to school. Cash gave me his cell phone. She had him producing it from her pocket to show it to him. I can call him any time, and he'll come. The look on his face was difficult to assess. He wiped it clean of expression while she was trying to understand it. Make sure you've got one of the men along from now on when you ride the fence and carry the gun that he's teaching you to shoot. She stopped and turned. Which man should I take along except for Nick? We only have three left, all part-timers, she said brightly. The economy is becoming a religion around here. When I finish this semester, she said, I'm going to quit school and get a job. I'm tired of wearing the same jeans for three years, not having enough cash to buy a single new dress. His high cheekbones were rooting. He didn't say a word, but she knew he understood what she was saying. He didn't think she knew about the ring, but he knew that she economized everything while he was spending his savings to buy expensive rings for his new girl. An education is a luxury under the circumstances. She turned, moving away. The way I feel right now, we could put the ranch on the market and forget trying to make ends meet forever. I'm sick of struggling all the time. She went into the house in a blue furry fury. Tippy Moore had opened her mouth to speak and shut it instantly when she saw Christina Bell's various dark eyes. She heard what was said outside and she wanted to know more, but Christina Bell went to her room and closed the door. Jed got into his SUV and sped away without coming inside. Molly caught her between them just sighed and made more coffee. They didn't need it, but she had to have something to do. Of course, Chrissy couldn't stay in her room forever. She came out for supper. Surprisingly, the film crew was still there, but about to leave. Tippy Moore gave her a strange look, one that took in the age and wear, the jeans and blouse she was wearing, and the peeling paint on the door facing, and the yellow spots on the ceiling of the hall that indicated a leak. Do you want something, Miss Moore? Chrissy asked courtly. Tippy said, I didn't realize how hard things were for you here. She said, my ranch is none of your business, Chrissy replied to her. It soon might be, though, came the slow reply. For good measure, Tippy turned the emerald and diamond ring she was wearing it on her engagement finger. Chrissy felt sick all over. So Judd was considering marriage. Well, you better get the annulment first, she thought with black humor. Your crew is leaving, Chrissy pointed out to the model. Oh, Judd usually takes me back to town. She returned her voice almost a purr. Even as she spoke, Chrissy heard the familiar sound of the engine in Judd's SUV. She didn't say another word. 
She went into the kitchen, busied herself helping Maudie fix potatoes so that she wouldn't have to see Judding again. Tippy went out to greet Judd, gathering his arm into both perfectly manicured hands. I wondered if you were coming back. Miss Gaines has been in a room all afternoon pouting after the argument you had, she added lightly. My, my, she is frightfully immature, isn't she? He hesitated, but only for a second. He went out with Tippy, got in the vehicle with her, and drove away. Judd's visit after that coincided with Christy's hours at school, and he knew her schedule quite well. It was the second week of November. Her birthday was Friday, and all the years she and John had Mommy. been married, he made a point of taking her out to eat on her birthday and presenting her with some small present. Usually something practical, like a program for her computer. We're not a CD that she wanted. They argued, but she didn't expect that she'd forget, even under the circumstances. She had just a little money put back for an emergency, and now she took it out and went to the local department store. Jed could be could buy diamond and emerald rings for his girlfriend. Chrissy was entitled to one new dress in two years. She bought a soft blue one. The fell in graceful folds to her ankles from a tight waist and a low-cut bodice. It had puffy sleeves, and there was a big, wispy scarf that matched it. She would wear her hair down, she thought, and put it up in curlers so that it looked perfect for her one night out a year with Judd. But by Friday, she hadn't heard a word from him. In fact, she made a point of skipping class that day at lunch so she'd have a chance to remind him that it was her birthday, just in case he'd forgotten. But he didn't come Friday. In fact, Tippy Moore didn't show up for work either. It was too much of a coincidence for Chrissy. With a worried Maudie standing nearby, she went right up to Gary Mays, the assistant director, and asked him point blank where Tippy was. She was up in Victoria today with Judd. He told her with thinning, mild sarcasm. They were having a retirement for one of the local law enforcement people. And Tippy volunteered to go with Judd. Bachelors in the department were doing cartwheels last I heard. Tippy and said Judd was delighted that she wanted to go with him. Thanks, Chrissy said with a wan smile. He didn't say anything about Chrissy, Marty asked. Gary was looking at the script with the continuating assistant. He's gone. Why should he have? He asked actually. Chrissy turned away. There's no reason at all. Christy, Marty began full of quite sympathy. I'm okay, Marty, she said in force mouth. He'll send me a card or something. She went down the hall to her room. Without another word, she was furious on the verge and on the verge of tears. That model was ruining her life, her future, all her hopes. She could have thrown things, but what good would it do now? If Judd cared so much for Tippy that he forgot Christy's twenty first birthday. There was just no hope left. And it didn't take long to sink in that Judd didn't mean to take her out at all. He didn't even phone her to ask her plans for her birthday or to wish her a happy one. Brad drove up in his big pickup truck just before sundown on Friday, an hour after the field crew had packed up for the weekend and gone. He looked preoccupied and he grimaced when Chrissy came out to meet him on the long front porch. She could see bad news in his face. Her own fell. Okay, spill it, she said with a half-hearted smile. I can see it's not something you're dying to tell me. Got any coffee, he asked. Sully won't help, but yes, I have some coffee. Come on in, she led him inside, down the hall to the kitchen. 
Marty's spending the night with her sister, so I'm cooking something. Nothing fancy, just an omelet. Want to share? I haven't eaten since 11 this morning. He murmured, pulling out a chair to straddle. If you don't mind the company, I'd love to. She smiled, and this time it wasn't half-hearted. I'll make cinnamon toast to go with it. He smiled back, although it looked more like a grimace. Didn't know how much practice smiling in recent years. It was still difficult, even with Chrissy. He waited until they finished the short meal before he spoke. Chrissy had just poured them both second cups of coffee, and he put cream in his, stirring it far too long with the spoon, and she propped her chin on her hands and stared at a point. Okay, here it is, straight from the shoulder. Judd's taking Tibby to the retirement party in Virginia tonight. I thought you should hear it from me or somebody else. And I said, oh, I already knew Cash, he said. The assistant director told me. He said, I'm sorry, Kate. Said Gruffy. It's the first time in five years that he's forgotten my birthday. I brought a new dress just to wear out tonight. I'm 21 today, she said. So, you are. Yeah, surprised. Judd went off with Tippy. I suppose he forgot. He spent so much time with her lately. He never guessed he was a married man. Would you? Of course, he wouldn't want to take me to any retirement party, she rationalized. I'm just a kid. Like you said, he'd want someone pretty and sophisticated and famous to show off to his friends. Not a country hick of a tomboy who has trouble knowing which utilities to use. <laughs> You're not a country hick, Cryer said forcefully. Listen here, let me take this personally. I imagine he thinks he's keeping it from you. That you won't find out. He crossed his long legs and leaned back and shared with his arms. Maybe I shouldn't have told you. Maybe you wouldn't have known otherwise. You don't think Tippy wouldn't enjoy rubbing it in when she comes back with the film crew next week? She was, at least now, she won't hit me with it when I'm not expecting it to. If you'd like to go, I'll take you, he told her with a wicked smile. I used to work with a guy who's retiring, and I was invited too. She smiled back. It was tempting, but even if he played fast and loose with her heart, Chrissy couldn't embarrass Judd that way, not after all he'd done for her over the years. No, she said, shaking her head. I don't play that sort of game. I'm not really a vindictive person. I know that, he said, it makes it hard to hurt you. She searched his handsome face with a grin. You're a nice man, Cash Grier, she said softly. Lifted both eyebrows and his dark eyes twist. That's a new one. I guess I've been called everything else at least once. <laughs> well, anyway, since I'm 21 now, Judd and I can get a quiet annulment next week. And no one ever know we were married in the first place. I get my half of the ranch. She continued doggedly. He keeps his half and he gets his freedom so that he can marry his red-headed headed idle woman. Briar studied her certubiously and thought that in Judd's place his freedom would be the last thing he wanted. This little morsel had a heart as big as all outdoors and she didn't put on airs or play mind games. She was honest and brave and thoughtful. He was sorry there was such an age difference between them. Why do you look so more so she teased. He studied her under narrow eyelashes. I was wishing I was younger. She smiled without crying. Where are you? Why? He laughed. She didn't have a clue about her own attractiveness. Nothing. Just a passing thought. He checked the complicated watch he wore on his uppers. I've got a few things to do before cleaning time at five, he found. He said Monty had gone to her sister's. He was staying in the house with 
Nobody, of course, but Marty will be back first thing tomorrow. He didn't like that. He was careless of Jug, especially after the threats made by Jack Clark. You're worried, she said. Why? He reluctant to tell her. That's her. Jack Clark has sworn in front of at least one witness that he intended to make you pay for pulling a gun on him. Wasn't trying to have me arrested enough, she asked surreptitiously. It is a funny Chrissy Hupon. No, it isn't, but right now it's just another drop in the misery pool, she told him. My life isn't coming up roses lately. I want you to be paranoid about locking doors and windows at night, even when Marty's here. If any strange vehicle comes up in the yard, make sure you know who's in it before you go rushing out. Keep that pistol handy. The film crews do out here again next week, right? Right, bright and early Monday morning. For Tippy Moore, I can't wait to rub my nose in her evening out with Judd on my birthday. She said, I don't have a you do have ranch hands around here, don't you? She felt her knees go weak. She never had to worry about intruders before. It was an old Victorian house with long, low windows and not much security. She hid the gun on the table. Right now, we have three part-time cowboys, she murmured. And Nick, our foreman, Judge hi Judd hired him. She looked up. He worked for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation just out of college before he moved to Texas. And he's a dead shot. Good. That relieves my mind a little. Will they all be around this weekend? Some of them. Nick, definitely. He never goes off much. Cash didn't look convinced. He finished the last swallow of his coffee and stood up. Took out a card, flipped it over on the table, pulled a pen from his shirt pocket, wrote a number on the back, he slid it across to Kissy. That's my other cell phone number. I keep the second phone with me all the time. And it's never turned off. He had his own. If you need me, day or night, you call me. Even if I'm off duty, at the very least, I can have the Jacob's little phone. Police out here in three minutes flat. If it takes me a little longer to get here, okay? She felt touched by the gesture. She knew Dreyer had a reputation as a man who didn't make friends easily in his new position as assistant police chief in Jacobsville. He was already making enemies at City Hall with his hard-nosed attitude toward drug offenders, but Chrissy adored him. He was like family. He already done more for her than anyone except Judd. She smiled at him warmly. Thanks, Cash, she said softly. I really mean that. He walked to the front door with her, trailing his footsteps. He opened the door and turned, silhouetted against the dust. Happy birthday, Chrissy, he said gently. But the touch his hard mouth to I'm sorry it isn't going to be a happier one. She smiled at them. There are a couple new movies I've wanted to see for a long time. I think I'll treat myself to the show. Alone? At night? <laughs> yes, baby. Listen, can't go out alone. I've been to a ballet in years. He said abruptly. There's one in Houston. I can get tickets at a moment, in minutes notice. Take me along on your birthday outing. I'll buy you supper too. Your <laughs> face right. You're serious. You don't have plans for tonight? You heard that lesson. I don't have plans for any night, he confessed. I have a hard time with women these days. Got too many rough edges to suit most of them. <laughs> right, so. No, you don't. I love going out with you. Even just fishing or having a hamburger in town. The change in him was surprising. He almost flushed. He cleared his throat. Well, okay then. We'll go to the ballet and you can wear your new dress. I'll pick you up at 5.30. She smiled from here. I'll be your heddy. Stopped on the steps and turned around again. Would you rather see a play? I'm game. 
Oh, but I've never been to a ballet to protest. I'd love to see one. Never, he asked aghast. It never came up, she said weakly, realizing how unworldly she was. Versus a, and the ballet it is. There'll be a symphony orchestra playing for it. Culture is important. It connects us to the past. Her eyes twinkled. I thought rodeo was culture. She teased the joke. In some circles, it's the only one. She smiled. Thanks, Gas. He shrugged. Can't let a nice young woman like you turn 21 and not celebrate, can we? And he was gone. So instead of staying home and eating her heart out because Judd didn't want to take her out on her 21st birthday, she dressed for Grier instead. She looked in her mirror. She had to admit that she didn't look too bad. The soft blue dress emphasized her nice figure in a conventional way. She had the pretty wispy blue scarf to drape over the puffy sleeves that held up the low-cut bodice. The high heels arched her pretty feet at an alluring angle, and she liked the cut of the dress, which came to her ankles. It was perfect for the valet. She wore her hair up in a sophisticated top knot. What made her saddest was that Judd hadn't even called to wish her a happy birthday. She checked the answering phone's unblinking front every few minutes to make sure she hadn't missed a call. She thought about picking it up and listening to the dial tone to make sure it was working, but that would be just too juvenile. He wanted to ignore her most important birthday. Let it. She'd go out with Grier and have a very nice time. It amused her and pleased her that a man like Grier would be willing to spend a boring evening with someone like her. She didn't doubt that he could have gotten any woman he wanted to go on a date with him. He was very attractive, and unless she missed her guests, very experienced with women. He showed up in exactly one hour, wearing a dark suit with his wavy black hair loose instead of its unusual ponytail and his mustache and black goatee under his full lower lip perfectly trimmed. His hair came past his color, neatly trimmed, emphasizing his muscular neck. He looked very European like that. His hollow complexion shone to its best advantage above the fine white cotton shirt and subdued blue pattern tie he was wearing. His black dress shoes were polished so well that they reflected the porch ceiling. Wow, she said softly because she'd never seen him dressed up. He smiled sweetly. Thanks. You're not bad yourself. His eyes punctu punctuated the compliment as they ran over her like an orange rust. Ready to go? Just have to lock the door, she did, joining him at she did, joining him at the steps. How about the window? She asked suddenly. All secure, she said. Spent the afternoon making sure the locks were in place and I reinforced them with some broomsticks. I had one of the men cut to size for me. Smart lady. Speaking of security, I hope you're packing because I don't have any place to carry a gun. I'll second that, he joked. You won't find a cop in the country who doesn't travel armed. Not in these days. That's what I thought. Judd holds the fastest time for the quick draw in North Texas. He called Mac Brandon has it in South Texas. I've always wondered who'd win in a contest. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end from either of them, she said as he helped her into the car. She didn't want to talk about Judd. It was taking all she could to do to shut him out of as it was. Did he call you? No, he didn't, she said, but not that it matters. Of course it mattered. She couldn't hide her disappointment. Started the started the big black truck. We're going to have a great time. They're doing the Firebird tonight. I got seats. Even at the late, that late date, too. The Firebird, Stravinsky said, one of the modern composers. 
This is a ballet set to the music. We want to fill you in on the way to Houston. Want me to fill you in on the way to Houston? Would you? She asked, genuinely curious. He chuckled. I'd love to. The topic took them all the way to the theater where the event was held and into the parking lot. There were people dressed in everything, from evening gowns to jeans and tank tops, so Chrissy felt comfortable in her dress. Jean Breyer had seats right down front, and the beauty of the production held her breathless, like the sensuous score provided by the orchestra. She got Breyer watching her once and grinned at him. He grinned back, pleased that she was enjoying the ballet. He watched the bow she watched the ballerinas in their exquisite costumes flying across the stage to the music and do high lifts and pirouettes on their toes. And the changing colored lights. It was awesome. She never seen anything quite so glorious. It was as she told Cryer lately, like watching a Degas painting come to life. End of chapter eight.